to the Church in God of a Podcast. I am your host, Jedediah, and... The co-host, Newton. And we are back. We are building from our last topic, thinking and rethinking politics and faith. And so by means of introduction, I'll read a passage for us, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Mm. And so our topic today will be dealing with what it is to be a cultural warrior or an ambassador. The mm-hmm. argument here is to say that God has called us to be ambassadors in this world, not be cultural warriors. Cultural warriors are people who jump on a cause, a situation, a drive, a fad, or anything else that might be culturally popular and join that fight and movement. Mm-hmm. And as much as that might be adequate and helpful in terms of social justice and in terms of issues that come to our hearts, our primary calling is to actually be ambassadors. Ambassadors. So we are thinking of how exactly do you showcase the ambassadorship that God has given you. Mm-hmm. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Boynhaf is arguing uh, for the church being a community that loves one another and a church that communicates with one another. One of the primary things he says in one of the chapters is to say that Christian community is not an ideal, but a divine reality. Mm. And from this, we're thinking of the church being political And by political, we mean a church governs how people relate with one another, Mm -hmm. how people love one another. And Bonhoeff's main idea and main argument is that in idealism, things are perfect. Mm. In divine reality, the imperfect is made perfect by God. Hmm. And so I think that's what we're driving at to say Christians are first and foremost ambassadors in every aspect area of their lives. They're called to be ambassadors first, whether it's politics, whether it is at work, whether it is an opportunity, whether it is in relationships, the stance is that of an ambassador. Mm -hmm. So this morning, uh, it's morning here, we are trying to look at, I think, five ways in which we can be ambassadors, in which we can be ambassadors against being cultural warriors. Mm -hmm. And Newton, you want to start us off? Yes, and just to reiterate, we are ambassadors for Christ. Yes. We are not ambassadors primarily for our government. Mm. Yes, we are to submit to our government, but uh, we are ambassadors for uh, Christ. Yeah. And I like this statement. It says, if the church's most powerful political testimony is being the church, then it follows that uh, you're going to be able to uh, learn how to do politics in the church. And by politics here, we mean uh, new birth uh, politics. <laughs> politics done with a new heart. Mm. So how does this uh, uh, look like? You know, even at our church, we are multi, multi what? Multi tribe, multi ethnic. Mm. We have uh, Yaos, we have uh, Chewas, we have Tumbukas, we have uh, all sorts of uh, tribes. In our church. So I think of all places, 
people are not gonna learn how to love each other outside the church. Mm. The place where people will be able to learn how to love each other will be actually uh, the local church. So this is why I believe as ambassadors, we have a responsibility as leaders in the church to treat uh, people like our Lord Jesus Christ uh, would uh, treat us. You know, in Ephesians, it talks of uh, one new uh, humanity. So that has to be uh, uh, seen actually in uh, the uh, uh, church how do uh, people relate with others that maybe they are easily annoyed by? Hmm, yeah. People they don't agree with. In ev- almost every church, sometimes people do not articulate this. People are going to be pro different political parties. Even at our church, you know that some people voted for the uh, party that won. Others voted for the party that lost. Mm. So how do we still remember that we are first and foremost uh, Christians rather than um, political um, affiliates? So I, I would say the first thing is uh, the, the church. It's in the gathered and scattered life of the congregation that we learn and rehearse and live out a new politics. Mm. Because the other problem is that uh, a lot of uh, Christians, they frown at this word politics. Yes. Because for most part, we define politics as a dirty word. Yeah. What do they say politics is? Ndali. Dirty game. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ndali. It's a dirty game. But again, we are in this uh, world. We are Christians. We are ambassadors. So we need to understand that um, the church is our first uh, form of political engagement. Yeah. Right? It starts in the church. How are we serving each other? Mm. If someone sins against you, how are you going to uh, respond to that? Are you going to be uh, forgiving? Mm. And uh, what did the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, say? He said, um, by our love for one another, the world will know that we are his what? Disciples. By our love for one another. So it does not matter where you come from, what tribe, but also you need to understand the church, there's different classes. Yeah. There's politics right there. Mm-hmm. How are we relating uh, the haves and the have-nots? Are we intentionally engaging people that may not be able to do as much economic good? Mm. Do we pursue those or are we only looking to the people who can benefit from uh, financially, so I think at the end of at, at, at the end of it all, we need to be able to be people that uh, love one another, care one care for one another, and it, it starts in the church as we are sitting under sermons, teachings, and put those into practice. So yeah, it's at a, it started at the church, and I think to continue with uh, I think a second way in which we can be ambassadors mm-hmm. is. As we even speaking right now, the people who are listening who have positions of power, um, yes. you know, they have a political stewardship somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we're calling it, calling it a political stewardship, not a political privilege, but a stewardship because, you know, all authority is given by God. And therefore, we have to be able to showcase God 
in how we even do those activities in our political positions. Yes. And I think the second point is that we make use of whatever political stewardship we have for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I think that that colors a patch again, politics in, in our country. And I think maybe in most circles, it's been regarded as the dirty game. Yes. But I think I have one passage that comes to mind. Um, and it's, this is Matthew chapter eight. Mm. Uh, verses uh, seven going downwards. And this is Jesus interacting with a centurion. And I think by way of illustration and example to see how, how this conversation goes about. And he said to them, this is what Jesus is saying to him, says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Mm. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Mm. That's interesting because a centurion is probably one of those powerful people in the Roman government. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't really think he would be concerned with the things of a mere servant. But you see this man in high authority and power, and he even claims it in a passage, he's going to Christ for the healing of a servant. Hmm. I think there comes a certain reality of faith, a certain reality of humility, and a certain reality of this man's affection and love for his servant to even go to Christ. Hmm. Now, by servant, I think in a way we're making it puppy eye. But the reality is going to Jesus to heal his slave. Hmm. This man has power and authority to buy more slaves, yes. but he uses his authority to go to Christ, which is in this context, a Roman going to a Jewish rabbi is actually unheard of. Hmm. This man goes out of his way to use his authority and power to Christ that this servant and slave is healed. Wow. I think it's a great illustration of using your power and political stewardship for the glory of God. Wow. Yeah. He's not serving his own interest. In fact, he's serving the interest of another person. He comes to a level of even understanding his own inadequacy and says, I'm not worthy mm-hmm. for Christ to come under my roof, but just say the word. Wow. No, I like that. He, the centurion definitely was a powerful man. Mm. And not everybody will be in that position. So this, again, is a reminder that different opportunities and resources will require different levels of engagement mm. from individual to individual. individual yeah. You may be a garden boy at a state house. Yeah. If you're a Christian, you also have some uh, political stewardship. stewardship. How you do your work will actually give you uh, a platform to speak truth to power. Mm. So to some extent, I think we all have some stewardship. It might vary in uh, degrees, mm. but how are we using that uh, stewardship? Yeah. So Newton, mm-hmm. third point. Yes. Be willing to invoke God in your arguments. Be willing to invoke God in your arguments. Yeah. Can you can you expound that? Sure. Hmm. This is not um, the very uh, easy, but the truth of the matter is that. Uh, we all have uh, a God. Mm. Some might have a small G. Some may have uh, a big G, the uh, God. So the point uh, here is that uh, we need to understand that as we engage each other, there's a battleground for the gods. Eh? Mm. So for somebody, for example, who is uh, uh, fighting uh, for, let's say, 
a feminist, mm -hmm. does the Bible uh, affirm the equality of uh, men and women? Yes. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And I believe women should be paid equally as men for equal work. Mm -hmm. And where there has been injustices, that needs to be uh, challenged. But however, we have also uh, some abuses, even in uh, areas where now they are saying that um, for the sake of... Uh, uh, women empowerment, we should allow women to abort. Mm. Now, it is their freedom, eh? it is their right. What should be the Christians then response to that? Mm. So that's why I say we need to be able to realize that uh, we never leave our gods. And I have, I believe uh, with uh, all my heart that. Um, we need to understand that as uh, Christians, mm. by invoking uh, our God, we are communicating that only Jesus is our King and Lord. Mm. And I also believe uh, that uh, if we are uh, submitting to his uh, uh, Lordship, this will lead to uh, peace, this will lead uh, to harmony, and this will also lead to people being able to live uh, well with each other. But again, this is not everybody's uh, God, right? Yeah. So, I'm also saying again, is, uh, what I'm saying again is this. Uh, Everyone should understand and admit that uh, they have uh, a God. They do have uh, so, so some sort of uh, you know, a foundation that uh, they are standing on. So I'm going back to the example of uh, um, uh, feminism. Mm. I think uh, there is nothing. There's everything wrong in abusing uh, uh, women because they are women. Mm. Because uh, Genesis nine. Verses 5 and following, it affirms that we are all being created in uh, whose image? God's image. God's uh, image. Mm. But at the same time, we need to understand that uh, our God does make demands on us. Yeah. And I do believe my God, my God's demands will lead in our peace, good, and flourishing. So we need to ask also somebody who is saying that uh, we should kill babies. Mm. How is that going to lead to our good? Mm. So that's what I actually was trying to communicate by invoking our God. So the name uh, our God as the real God, we need to actually to appeal not just to people's uh, uh, conscience, but also we need to understand that um, there is uh, a, a reason why people do what they do. Mm. So, yeah. But as an ambassador, I'm not going to just uh, give in to what uh, society is uh, advocating without uh, being able to say, okay, you know what, I agree. I mean, I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I cannot go against what has been clearly communicated in uh, the God of uh, the uh, Bible. Mm. So, yeah, that is actually what we mean to always invoke uh, the God. Yeah, I think there's, and I think the part also we have to understand is be willing to do it. Uh, I think sometimes we are very timid as Christians because it, it seems as if God is not a plausible, logical argument. But that in itself is an illogical thought. Uh, yeah. Because if the, 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 the reality of our lives are built on the truth and person of God, and therefore 
he affects everything we do. Um, and that's Colossians chapter three, verses 23. Uh, for whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, whatever work, work heartily as if unto the Lord and not unto mm-hmm, man. Mm-hmm. And I think we, those, those are principles and realities that we come to start to understand that there is no place where God is not involved. Yes. There's no place in our life where God is somehow sanctioned to the back seat and is just simply watching over. He mm-hmm. is present. Um, and he also has not an opinion. I think sometimes people think, Oh, I'm going to give you God's opinion. God doesn't have opinions. God has truths. Mm-hmm. And, and either you obey or disobey. God yes. does not have an opinion of your life. He has authority. Exactly. And the more we have that view of God, the easier I think it is even for us to be ambassadors because now you're a herald. Uh, there's this this reality of a king in the olden days. Well, a king would send a herald and he'd say, oh, go to such and such a village and proclaim this message. Mm-hmm. The herald had no options. He had no saying, oh, I think I'll only proclaim this part about the king. If the herald proclaimed anything that is not unto the king, that was a crime. Yeah. And so we have, you, yeah. you could, they could kill you for it. Yeah. And so for us, we'd be starting to understand that our charge is that we proclaim God in truth. And we proclaim God with confidence, with boldness, that whatever happens, as long as we are honoring our God, being gracious and loving and truthful to people mm-hmm. and showing mercy, yes. then we are honoring our God. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to keep that distinction in mind. Yes. And I think that could be tied uh, with uh, being prepared on occasion to disobey the state. Are yes. We, we, is that part of our Yeah, point? that's part of our point. Yeah. So if we're invoking our God, we need to understand that there are times where the government or the state may be able to pass laws or policies that go directly against our Christian faith. Mm. For example, if the government will say, as a church, we want you to ordain same-sex marriage, what do we do? That is what we mean. We're going to invoke our God. Mm. And then people will say, we're going to honor you but we cannot practice what you're asking us to do. In other words, we are going to be able to say no mm. to what you're asking us uh, uh, to do. Because, I mean, again, think of Daniel and the three uh, uh, Hebrew uh, friends mm. who refused uh, at separate times to do what? To bow down and pray to Nebuchadnezzar's false gods. And this was at the threat of their lives. Yeah. Right? Mm. Think of Paul. Excuse me, think of uh, Peter mm. in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when he was clearly told not to preach on this name. You know what he said? We must obey God rather than men. Mm. So, but again, we need to acknowledge there are rare times that Christians must disobey the state. And uh, there are rare times because sometimes Christians can be unwise and be antagonistic. Mm. So we are talking about... Uh, being prepared on occasion to disobey the state, if the state is asking us to do what is clearly prohibited Mm. from uh, the Bible. Mm. So, yeah, that is what we meant by invoking our God. And I think it's important. It's important for us to to also, I think, keep that in mind Mm -hmm. where this disobedience is not out of rebellion. This disobedience is out of obedience. Yes. I think it's crazy when you think about it that way, but this disobedience is because you are obeying a higher authority. authority. Yes. And whenever you find authorities in argument or, or in sort of like conflict, 
ask yourself who's the higher authority mm-hmm. and that higher authority will always be God yes and that that comes in the structure even if the pastor of the church agrees with this legislation they are not the highest authority in that situation mm-hmm. the highest authority is Christ yes and to be able to always remember that who is the head of the church Jesus Yes. As long as you remember that, it doesn't matter if the elders or the pastors or prophets, I know I don't know if they exist, I don't think they do, mm-hmm. but whoever it is, the reality is Christ is the head of the church, church. and you obey the head of the church. You don't obey the under-shepherds. Mm-hmm. And so now we, we come to, to even looking at that and saying, how then do we pray for the government? Mm, mm, mm. Because that's that's our fifth and final point to say, yes. pray for the, the government. government. Yes. Yeah. So as ambassadors, our responsibility is not to be against the government, mm. but to understand we are representing our heavenly king. And one of the ways we do so is to serve our government by praying for them. Yes. That's First Timothy uh, two. First two. So Paul instructed us to pray for who? For kings and all who are in high positions. And he gives us the reason that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Mm. So we should pray not only for the governments we like, mm-hmm. but for the ones we don't like. <laughs> yeah. So now we have a president who is a Christian. We are to be praying for him that God will give him all the wisdom because, man, it's not easy to be a president. Yep. It's not easy to be a president. So as the church or as Christians, it's our responsibility to engage politics for our faith. And our faith comes in the place of, amongst other things, praying for our president. And I think that applies in every ambassador position, not simply in politics. Mm-hmm. Pray for those in authority at your workplace. Yes. Uh, pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Mm-hmm. Uh, prayer is the Christian's greatest form of fighting. Because you are communicating with a father who is not unwilling to intervene. Yes. He is not a father who is timid. Mm -hmm. He is not a father who is limited by space and time. He is not a father without enough resources. Mm -hmm. And so prayer should not only be our last resort. Prayer is our first resort. Prayer is what we run to first. Even as we look at these other realities, as you're joining a church, pray about it. Yes. As you're in a political stewardship position, pray about it. Mm-hmm. As you are invoking God in your arguments, pray, pray about, about it. it. As you're being prepared to disobey the government, pray, pray about, about it. it. Because at the heart of it, prayer is, prayer is the gel that makes our lives more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Because it's the communion we have with God. It's the communion we have with our Father. It is the connection that we have, that we constantly have to cultivate. Because yep. prayer in some situations, doesn't seem the situations, it changes us. Correct. And we see ourselves in light of God's goodness and grace because as you're praying, you're understanding more of the word. Because you don't pray in a vacuum. You Mm -hmm. pray what God has written. You pray what God has promised. You pray according to God's character. And in turn, by his grace, you also change in character. Wow. Yeah. So in conclusion... As Christians, we can't afford to disengage. Mm. 
were to engage for love's sake, but don't set your hopes too much mm. on the governments of this world. Mm-hmm. Our political hopes must remain in Christ's kingdom and his church. Amen. And Amen. from us to you, is saying grace and peace. God, God bless. bless.